Welcome to Terragrams. Hi, I'm Craig Frizzone, and I'll be your host for the 25th Dispatch of Terragrams. Today we are joined by landscape architect Maria Gula. Maria Gula has been either studying or practicing landscape architecture in Barcelona since she arrived from Greece in 1992 during the eve of the Olympic Games. She received both her Master's of Landscape Architecture as well as her PhD degree from the Escola Tecnica Superior d'Arquitectura in Barcelona and Catalunya's Polytechnic University. She is an adjunct professor in the Department of Urbanism and Territorial Planning, where she teaches design studio and focuses on addressing issues surrounding tourism. Currently, she is a founding member and researcher for the Center of Landscape Research in Barcelona, and in this capacity has prepared landscape atlases for Lerida and Girona. Recently, they have won competitions to design a park extension in Seville and an ecological corridor outside of Barcelona. Ms. Gula is also a member of the organizing committee of the Barcelona European Landscape Biennale. Terragrams is very happy to welcome Maria Gula. It's a pleasure that you're able to take the time out of your day and join us, Maria. Welcome to Terragrams. Thank you, it's an honor. You helped host the fifth cycle of the Biennale of Landscape here in Barcelona. And in fact, you've helped uh, organize all five Biennales. And three times you've participated as a, a member of the jury. Could you tell us, uh, to start off, could you tell us why this Biennale of Landscape has been initiated? And then how has it evolved over the past 10 years? With pleasure. I still remember uh, Rosa Barba going very quickly to, to class, rushing down the stairways at the School of Architecture and almost waving at me saying, we are going to make a, to, to, to make a Biennale of Landscape uh, in, in Europe. I, I, I got shocked and waiting for her after the end of the class just to tell me about all the details, no? and that was that was in a very important moment. It was around ni 1970. The master's program uh, was uh, starting to become mature in a way because she has been working in um, the, let's say the latest version of of, it, of the program and the contents and producing proposing a new structure more or less uh, for the last uh, five years at that moment. So she thought that it was a very interesting moment to contact the practice. And um, uh, she has been traveling for and participating in different conventions like the ECLAS conferences, EFLA, etc., in order to try to contact landscape creators and landscape architects all around Europe just to find out which were, let's say, the... Um, um, the best programs in a way because uh, she was she was really interested to to find the specificity of the of the discipline not just let's say stop in a kind of uh, more light version of um, let's say urban design with with some eco ecological sensibilities mm -hmm. you know which is very interesting of course and it's very has been very refreshing for most architectural programs, but she wanted to to propose a program that would uh, produce landscape architects in Spain. So that was the moment. It was a very, very, very intensive moment. And um, so she she proposed this idea to, to the College of Architects, 
and uh, you, know, you know these these things that happen really by by chance. You know, at mm. that moment, the vocal of um, well, the responsible to say of, of culture of the. Um, uh, the College of Architects in the region of Barcelona was uh, Alfredo Fernández de la Reguera, mm -hmm. uh, who has been always a very, very active architect and very related to public space and, and landscape. So I think it was this kind of, of combination mm -hmm. of uh, this, um, for, in order to start this the Biennale. And it was, it was very innocent, I think, the start. It was like, what is happening in Europe? I mean, we mm. don't really know. Because, you know, the, sometimes it's very difficult to know, um, um, let's say, the, um, in detail or in depth. I mean, magazines, uh, of course, they, they, they illustrate and they, and they show what, what is happening, but sometimes it's... It has to with deals with trends, or I mean, it's 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 not so easy to to get to know um, the wideness and the variety mm -hmm. of situations. And if you were innocent during the first cycle or two, would you consider your the organization less so now? Yes, yes, in a way. I hope this is not bad. But, I mean, uh, the, first, uh, um, the first call for projects was, was a huge success. And I have to say that we have been afraid that uh, nobody would, would answer, mm -hmm. you know, because we never knew. It was like more than 1,000 projects wow. from Europe. That was the, probably the most successful, let's say, response to this call. And actually, now that um, we, we, we are trying, let's say, to recover from the from the last uh, Biennale, but um, from the event, but we, we start thinking of the production of the fifth catalog. Mm -hmm. I was looking back the first one, for example, which is thing you, you cannot find it anymore. It's it's out of market, mm -hmm. and um, it was uh, it was very interesting to see the variety of of landscape uh, production in, in Europe. It was a lot more planning mm -hmm. than we actually have been uh, publishing lately. Mm -hmm. And that has been always a kind of criticism that uh, within the, um, the commission, the executive committee of, of the Biennale uh, would have been um, doing. Uh, we thought that um, maybe the Rosa Barber Prize, which had focused more the built work mm -hmm. and there was no possibility to find out the virtues of different planning proposals in a way pushed uh, for example um, uh, in a way conducted yeah the, um, uh, the audience of the Biennale to, mm -hmm. to send more public space or let's say small-scale landscape projects. Mm -hmm. In the final selection of the projects or the narrowing down of the projects to a group of finalists and then the selection of the prize winner. What makes a project good enough to be considered? Yeah. It's a very good question. It's a very complex process, I think. You have to imagine that the executive committee and the team of the, say of the Secretariat of the Biennale we are all architects and landscape architects. So I mean, it's we are amateurs in the 
in the organization <laughs> of symposiums, but we we are very just so from the first moment that the the projects arrive, we keep you know looking at them and uh, trying to understand um, virtues and and um, several aspects about them. I think diversity is very important and good implementation. I would say I think these are the probably the two main. Uh, the, but there is also this 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 issue about um, representation. I mean, it's it's a kind of selection that it's done through selection through images mm -hmm. and the and the memoirs and the abstracts that the designers send. And the designers, all designers, including myself, I mean, we have difficulties of of presenting. No, the the mm -hmm. work it's. We don't know how to do it very well sometimes, or maybe it's because we are all very busy and we send mm -hmm. things. You know, so that the text is hardly uh, illustrative of the of the virtues, let's say, of the of the projects. But I think that the idea of um, of uh, including all possible scales, uh, overcoming, uh, let's say, dichotomies like, I don't know, hard spaces, soft spaces, natural, artificial, whatever. I mean, nobody ever mm -hmm. cared about that. It's the construction of open space that we are interested in. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I think these this are the main, the main criteria. Has it been a way towards more public work? The truth is that uh, we, we have very few uh, private projects. And of course, we do not exclude them, but I think that uh, they have been. Um, they are not representative, let's say, of the of the of the of the total of the mm -hmm. of the projects um, uh, submitted, and very very few times have ended up as finalists. For example, this year, I think the project by Laura Zampieri in Liguria was one of the exceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, we understand that, for example, private foundations are different, let's say, for a strictly client that is an individual. No? Mm -hmm. To compare the Biennale with, say, another uh, award, um, the Aga Khan, you're choosing, from, uh, you're choosing a series of finalists and a winning project from images. In the Aga Khan, they do a pre-selection via image and then they do a final selection via on-site survey. Is there a necessity, and if so, is there a necessity to do this for the Biennale, to put people out on site to actually look at the final projects? Is this something that the Biennale is looking to do in the sixth or seventh cycle? Or will the Biennale rest on a selection process via uh, two-dimensional representation only? I have to, let's say, remind you that the, um, the prize has been added after the, the loss of Rosa Barba. The idea of the Biennale was just an exhibition of uh, built work and then and the symposium, the three-day symposium. After the first year and the first success of the Biennale and about talking about continuation, the coincidence of Rosa Barba's laws um, made us think that um, there should be a prize to her memory. Mm -hmm. So that changed a little bit um, from the second, let's say, Biennale and after uh, Biennale changed a little mm -hmm. bit. I think that people pay too much attention to, to the prize, uh, of course, because it's a competition, it's... Mm -hmm. uh, it's 
it makes legible, let's say, the tendencies of what is going on. But I think that it's very important to look at the, the whole uh, work itself, which is every time more than 200 projects, which is quite interesting. But answering to your question, um, this has been the main, while we, we were designing the, the Rosa Barba Prize and its processes, uh, that was our main uh, worry. Because we all know that we cannot, I mean, actually, even if you visit a project, you need to go back again and again mm. and again to really understand mm. the virtues and how it really evolves. So it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite difficult. But I have to say that the, we didn't manage to do it, to, to have this possibility until now, because it's, it's a kind of budget issue. And the Biennale is uh, only sponsored mm. by Catalan government. Mm -hmm. And then for all the you know inscriptions and etc. So it's a very low budget project, even though I think it's it has it's a quite ambitious project. The only thing that we find as a remedy, and I think gives certain guarantees to to have a kind of quality, is that the international jury is selected uh, mostly because they cover different territories. And as a matter of fact, I think that. Uh, they were like um, uh, ambassadors, for example, no? or, or people that uh, uh, the rest of the jury could trust or not, let's mm -hmm. say, their, their, own, um, th their own opinion and their own knowledge. For example, uh, that's why we, we introduced from the first moment editors of uh, architectural landscape magazines mm -hmm. because we consider that these people are experts. For example, Robert Shefford from Topos participated, uh, the, um, the editors of Quaderns at that time, Mark Clara Moon from Peace Paysage, uh, and uh, Harry Harsema and, and Lisa Diedrich from Scape. So also the presence of the presidents of EFLA, which was an introduction we did from the, if I remember correctly, from the Set, uh, from the first Biennale, mm -hmm. uh, in a kind of a more f informal way, from an emeritus member of EFLA, Meto Brom, and then uh, there is always one of the members of the jury is the president of EFLA. Mm -hmm. We think that it gives a little bit of uh, certain, certain guarantee of knowledge, at least, of all projects. Hopefully, in the future, we can really, you know, afford it to, to travel along Europe and and really have a, you know, a very thorough look at the projects. Isn't there um, a movement towards making the Biennale an international Biennale? Or do we think it will rest embedded in Europe? This year you invited North America to mm -hmm. participate and there was a corresponding exhibition curated by Gary Hildebrand which opened the Biennale's eyes up to a different world of practice. I think since the third Biennale, there was uh, the issue about uh, there was the discussion about two issues. First one was is Europe too small, let's say, to to try to not because we think we we know Europe or the catalogs reflect exactly what is going on, because as I've several times said or written in different uh, articles about the Biennale we still have many incognitas about Europe because there are certain uh, states, that countries that they never, never send something mm -hmm. and of course they, they, they don't like practice. And um, 
and it's of course there are professionals that they don't submit the proposal so you never know exactly what mm -hmm. is going on on the other hand um, so there was but there was the idea that maybe that the um, uh, the 21st century, you know, with globalization, with so many things going on, maybe the Biennale should open more to to the world. Uh, but we were we were doubting about that, and I think the the idea of inviting a um, country in this in the, in the in the case of the United States was was interesting. It was kind of an excuse for the 10 years of the Biennale, like to start thinking of, of, of the potential of this, of this invitation. And the other issue that we have always been talking about is about if the Biennale is enough, like a, a space, you know, um, a, a time between um, every event in order to have mature, good, uh, implemented mm -hmm. uh, projects of landscape. So that's why I said, I talked about the two issues because I think they are interrelated. I mean, the idea that maybe Europe is not enough is maybe uh, because of the fact that every two years we don't have so many good, evolved mm -hmm. projects. It's a very short time it's to very generate, short time. generate a landscape, yeah. Mm -hmm. Although the landscapes that we see in each BNL are sometimes five, seven, ten years old in, yeah. in thought. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about Rosa Baba, uh, Barba. It seems as though she's a, she's played an uh, an amazing role in the integration and the growth and birth of landscape architecture in Spain, in in Barcelona and Catalonia, but also in Spain. Um, why was she so influential, and why is her memory still so strong with us? I think it has to do with um, with the fact that she was um, very. And I say it, it was, she was very motivated. She had a kind of drive, an incredible drive. Rosa Barba studied architecture when, um, uh, in, in the 60s uh, during the dictatorship, and she was one out of two women that were studying in her course. So she was, she, evolved in a kind of men's world. Mm. She was never very, let's say, she never talked about this specificity. She was also very, she didn't evolve any kind of uh, feminist, let's say. But she was really conscious all the time that um, she had to win her place <laughs> in the world, in the department, and all around. Uh, I think she was, uh, she was very, very related to to social issues since she was very young. She was very sensible to that. And um, in the 70s, she was involved in, in early 80s in, in planning in municipalities and mostly in tourist municipalities. And so she was really, even though she was not the only one that uh, was uh, understood the importance of landscape, actually, uh, Professor Manuel Rivas Piera has been the one that introduced the, the study of um, history of uh, gardens as an art uh, in, the, in the School of Architecture and in the PhD program. I mean, she was not actually the one that introduced the studies, and he was, of course, um, um, supported by a group of professors that were dealing issues with public space or landscape planning, etc. 
but I think we all, um, I think she concentrated this particular uh, energy of a younger generation that were starting building public space and she had a very fresh and very radical um, way of looking at things and um, it was the moment that after her, her PhD in the late 80s that she wins a professorship and she becomes a director of the masters that she decided that landscape, let's say, was um, special attention, especially in those, um, in, in this period of uh, education in Europe and probably most of the world, the, the educational programs are reduced. Rosa Barba uh, had to fight against uh, an, an idea, I think, that it was very, I don't know, it was very, very strong at that moment that good architects can do everything. Why, uh, you know, someone... And that was a, a traditional way of focusing the architectural education at, in, in Europe, I think, like the general uh, program. Like, you, you have to know everything in order to, like, a director of orchestra, you know, try mm -hmm. to... But she thought, and uh, I personally, I, I agree, I agree from the first moment, that that was a, a very elite idea. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there are people that can do everything. They can invent uh, mm -hmm. beautiful chairs and they can do <laughs> planning, but there are very few. Mm -hmm. And she was very much engaged with the public education, and she was thinking when she was proposing uh, landscape arch architecture as a specific discipline, she was thinking of the average student and the average professional. Mm -hmm. So I think it was, I think the, the, the word is drive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she had a drive. Is it commonly accepted that landscape architecture is and should be a specific profession here in Barcelona? today? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think especially these questions, uh, especially in, in moments of economic crisis, mm -hmm. that um, uh, do not, let's say, leave space for overcoming corporativism. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it is accepted. Uh, actually, I, be, I, I belong to a group of professors I have to say their names because I think their work has been incredible. Actually, they have been uh, continuing Rosa Barba's drive, Anna Sauner and Jordi Belmont, uh, that have been, let's say, the ones that took the coordination of the mm -hmm. master's program, programs until now. And uh, I, with many other professors, of course, that is, this is not a place to <laughs> name everybody, that we have proposed um, a program for, uh, for um, let's say, um, what do we say here, uh, a, a grado, uh, which is like a bachelor's for mm -hmm. landscape architecture, in order to combine it with the master's program. But this is still uh, something that um, has not uh, fulfilled. It's um, it needs um, lots of uh, energy and um, lots of support not only from the university itself as a polytechnic, also I think I, I, su I support at the level of 
um, uh, local administrations and the Ministry of Education because in order to have um, professionals you have to establish the limits of the competences mm -hmm. which is very difficult to do. Is this happening in the country? The, are mean? the limits of the profession being established now in the country through uh, a professional organization of landscape architecture? The professional organization of landscape architecture has, uh, I think, has evolved a lot the last uh, decade, probably. At that moment, there is a very young uh, um, landscape architect, Juan Ho Galan. He's the president. He's a very active person. But I think um, there, there is a lot to be done. Uh, I don't think there... Um, I don't think, let's say, that um, the, the, the effort has to be done at all levels. And I think that the professionals in landscape have started a little bit uh, late mm -hmm. in, that, in that sense. You're currently teaching in the School of Architecture. What are the specific landscape architecture degrees offered by your program? Probably I should start uh, telling that um, um, the master's program in landscape architecture started 25 years ago, uh, but it was more a kind of a brief uh, postgraduate program that um, attended the need of local architects to, let's say, um, debate and have some um, knowledge on, on gardens and, and landscape. But Exercise a, curiosity. Yeah, uh, but the truth is that these people were the very same people that were building the public space mm -hmm. of Barcelona at that time, like people like Jordi Ben-Newman, Ruiz Sanchez, Carma Rivas, Eric Valle, Joan Rhodes. So these were the first, um, the first students of, mm -hmm. of the master's program. Then the master's program uh, became, let's say, um, a two-year part-time course based on studio with several inputs related to the, um, to the theme of, the, of each studio, of each exercise um, given by the best experts we have here and sometimes in, in Europe. And um, it's a master's program that in, in a way I think it is it doesn't really uh, give you the, the the knowledge of a landscape architect, but it's it's a master's that uh, prepares architects to to enter, let's say, in the in the world of, of landscape. It uh, depends a lot on them. It depends on them if uh, they are working on on public space or they 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 go on, let's say, with, uh, with, with the profession, then I think they, they evolve. But it's not a program, let's say, that, that provides the knowledge for someone to become a landscape architect. Mm -hmm. we, we also accept sometimes, depending on curriculum, agricultural engineers, geographers, but, or artists, or, but it's a, it's a program uh, thought for professionals that have already experience mm -hmm. and they are eager to work very, very, very hard during two years and a half, more or less, in order, let's say, to, to, to be able to collaborate or, or, or work in, in landscape mm -hmm. projects. Defining, let's say, this, this program, um, the program that was uh, introduced as a bachelor's and now it is converted to a master's, but of a second level. These are the new masters that the Bologna treatment um, 
proposed. This, this was the, let's say, Rosa Barba's proposal and, and that of her team to provide a program in order to give all the, up, the, the necessary instruments and, and knowledge for someone to become a landscape architect. It was a bachelor's, but um, people that were in, in registered had already some other mm -hmm. studies. And now with its, its, it derived to a two-year program, a master's, Master Oficial de Paisaje. It's, it is still, let's say, a, a, a program that has, uh, one can study botanics, uh, hydrology, garden techniques, ecology, theory, history of, of uh, landscape architecture, and of course uh, every semester there is a studio, mm. uh, which is of course the, the, main, the main structure of, of the program. And um, this is um, um, a master that is uh, official, that means that it's not only a title given by the university, but it's a title given by the ministry. So, mm -hmm. so for us, even though we, there was a big loss to lose a year of, of preparation, mm -hmm. uh, because the, f the first proposal was three years Thank and you. a final uh, project, mm -hmm. this is only two years. With the final, with the final project, but um, but in, um, included, included, act, uh, yeah, exactly, within the studies. So um, even though that we thought that that was a big close, we thought that was it was at least interesting to give the opportunity to our graduates to have an official title, and maybe that would be in the future the the way to to have also bachelors recognized by the ministry. And how many students are in each program? Presently. We have uh, 40 students in the master's program, that one that is, um, well, the first one, let's mm -hmm. say, and then the newly baptized as a <laughs> master's, uh, we have more or less, uh, well, I would say 80. So there are more or less mm -hmm. 120 students in the School of Architecture that they just study landscape architecture mm -hmm. every year. And they all come, I mean, they come from all over the world, mainly from Europe, but we have from Latin America, United States, and Asia. Are you teaching in Spanish or English or Catalan? Spanish and Catalan. <laughs> Sometimes in English because uh, we have some, when we have guests or visiting creeds, we do, our students, I think most of them understand English and half of them are quite fluid with English. But it's uh, the, the languages are Spanish and Catalan. You are listening to Terragrams, and our guest is Maria Gula. Maria Gula is a landscape architect, practicing at the Center of Landscape Research of Barcelona and teaching in the Department of Urbanism and Territorial Planning at the Escola Tecnica Superior de Arquitectura in Barcelona. In 1994, you founded a center of research called the Center of Landscape Research and Design of Barcelona. What was the aim of the center, and who were your who were your original partners, and who are they now? Their their center was um, again founded basically by by Rosa Barba, uh, and uh, I was uh, I was very uh, lucky to to be. 
as a student at that moment, one of the first uh, the principal researchers. Um, because um, I came to Barcelona to, to have a PhD program, so Rosa uh, thought that I could be a good candidate for, for, this, for, this, for this research mm -hmm. center. There were quite a lot of professors that um, have been participating, uh, like uh, Ricard Pierre or Josep Maria Villanova, Jordi Sardá, but the main, let's say, the main group, uh, we are the same people over and over again, it's a little bit repetitive, but Jordi Bernouna, Anna Thaunero, myself with Rosa Barba. And the aim was that um, the, the only purpose, let's say, of uh, all the things that we have been doing, I think it's to try to, to, to define uh, the specificity of landscape architecture. In the Department of Urban Design, in the, in the School of Architecture, there is a very, very important tradition of um, urban morphology and urban design, which affects also methodologies of planning. Uh, the whole theory um, suggested and, and, and defended by, by Manuel de Sola Morales and Joan Busquets has been very important in this in these ideas of the urban project, and he says like working in a kind of acupuncture, um, in a kind of intermediate scale between the the scale of the architecture and the scale, let's say, of of the city, was based in a very very important tradition of um, interpretations of reality uh, through form, and I think we have. Uh, this, this has been our heritage, and the issue has always been how can we make it specific for landscape? How can we differentiate ourselves? How can we add something different in, in, into a department and to a profession which is, has important roots here and it's very well considered? And actually, even in, if we want to be uh, critical with what is going on in Barcelona, but we can, we have to say that it's, um, it's a place where the profession uh, has a very interesting level. And so is the, the purpose of the center to work on private commissions, or is it still embedded in the university working I think we as a public service? We, we have done very, very few private commissions. The, the, the idea, it started with um, actually um, consulting projects or, 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 or studies that Rosa Barba uh, proposed herself to different administrations and since she had a very good reputation as a planner they were interested in, in her um, proposals and we have been doing basically, yeah, we have been collaborating with, with public administrations in, in different parts of Spain but mostly in Catalonia. And what are you working on now? Now we are we are we have three projects that are very different. Uh, the first one is the, um, we participate uh, collaborating with the University of uh, of the of Girona, the Department of Geography, and uh, the elaboration of the catalog of the landscapes of Girona. Uh, this is the second uh, contribution we do to the. Um, elaboration of those catalogues. This is a novelty of the, of the Catalan government, uh, which after the um, signing of the European Landscape Convention, they, they went further on and they established 
the observ uh, Observatory of, of Landscapes mm -hmm. in Catalonia, and so they direct all this production of catalogues. And we were selected as a research center to produce, to participate in the production of two. The first one was in the, on the plain of Lleida, mm -hmm. and now we are working in Girona. We are also finishing um, a study about project in, in Reus, in Tarragona, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, tries to reveal uh, the, the, the system of, of streams as a kind of um, green uh, space uh, system for, for the city. They, they had a project, a political project, it was called Uve Verda, it was like uh, the green uh, V, mm -hmm. trying to, uh, let's say, improve environmental and landscape conditions of the, of the streams. Reus is a quite plain territory, a rural territory that was very important in the 19th century. The periphery of this, of this city has been um, attacked by all kinds of infrastructures from the TGV, uh, all these infrastructures uh, like uh, motorways and new airport, uh, industrial zones, etc. So the, um, the streams that uh, hardly have water have always been uh, very important for the structure of, mm -hmm. of territory, but um, uh, during the last century I think they, they have been converted to residual spaces mm -hmm. that are full of garbage and uh, lots, uh, lots of problems. So the idea is to write to say, requalify or improve these this spaces, recognize them, try to understand their territorial potential and their urban potential, and link them to current projects of parks in order, let's say, to articulate uh, the free space of, of the city and give possibilities to the citizens to, to enjoy it. And the third one is an interesting um, project related to Poblano, to this um, particular, can I say, initiative of the municipality to reactivate industrial zones under the, the slogan 22AT. And uh, we are participating in, um, in a team of, of professors of the School of Architecture that we will try to evaluate what has been going on and uh, what could be uh, the, the way to continue. Of course, we, we will deal with uh, public space, with all the, let's say, all the, the legislation and all the projects uh, elaborated by, by the municipality team um, that deals with uh, 22 Ed, this, this project. Mm -hmm. they, they have um, some ideas about public space and we're going to make a report on that. Mm -hmm. In the project, the Atlas of Landscapes, which I've noted that you're also working in Greece yeah. on an Atlas of Landscapes, um, is this the identification of existing referential landscapes and proposal of methods of either protection or evolution or development? Yes, I think more or less it is that, but I think it's uh, the, the, um, these catalogues uh, uh, have been ambitious in the sense that they wanted to overcome um, a, a kind of conventional, let's say, geographical or landscape planning approach, which is the recognition of 
I don't know, unities or the recognition of values. Uh, of course, um, they, they, they start from that, from this idea, but then they try to, to over, overlap different readings, like um, try to propose priority landscapes, etc. And the most ambitious, I think, um, and very characteristic um, approach or, or, or yeah, attitude of the of the of these atlas of these catalogs is that they 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 have to um, be useful for regional planning. So they end up in defining quality objectives for these for these landscapes. Mm -hmm. The idea of qu uh, quality objectives. Uh, has to do with uh, the very same European Convention because they established this this term mm -hmm. and uh, so they they uh, in, in a way the, the the objectives the measures and actions that are proposed in in each catalog uh, they have to have a kind of response in regional planning so uh, they are not uh, studies they are not uh, let's say geographical atlas that try to show the state of question of the Catalan landscapes, what they want to do, I think, is they have to um, provide landscape cartographers for, for planners. Mm -hmm. Your work in the center spans that between big-scale landscape planning um, to also that that's based on the project, the designed landscape, which is very specific and goes through construction and gets built. How necessary is it that these bigger master plans be realized through a series of much smaller projects? And how do you breach the gap between these two project typologies in your own work? I think for us, this is very this is this is essential. Um, we we never actually believed that. Mm, you should specialize in one scale or, or another. Maybe we're wrong, I don't know. Mm. But I have this uh, ambition. I mean, I, I think that even though that, that you cannot really actually work in many scales in every project, even if you sometimes have, have them in your mind, you know, but actually they, you represent them in another way or you present them in in another way because of whatever, of times, so of time, of materials, etc. I think we, we, we are very, very interested in that. And actually, the way, for example, we elaborate our cartographers are very element-oriented, trying, let's say, that these elements are, let's say, read sometimes as systems of elements or whatever, but we don't, we, we are very much against this kind of uh, cartography of areas of homogeneous zones or of hatches that uh, cover areas. No, we, we try to uh, make cartographies of patterns and we always fight against uh, well, sometimes our own clients or uh, other, uh, other contributors that are more scientific than we are and uh, they, because they say that maybe our, our cartographies are not legible. No? So for us, the idea of, of elements or the idea of, of um, working, for example, in, in different scales and trying to represent uh, in the same plan um, realities that do not actually 
belong to the same uh, level of, re of representation, it's, it's basic for us. I think we have a long way to go on. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's something that it needs its evolution, but I, I firmly believe that something will, <laughs> will come out of, of, this, of this research. Recently, you, de you successfully defended your doctoral thesis entitled The Other Landscapes, Reading of the Variable Image. Explain to us a little bit about uh, the subject that you were working on and tell us how that has or will influence your work as a professional. Hmm. The, the thesis uh, started uh, from a, a very, very uh, persistent uh, question I had when I was in the master's program, when I was studying landscape architecture and uh, at that moment the term periphery was very trendy in the beginning of the 90s uh, in, in literature. No? So there were different um, approaches which have been very interesting about you know, how, to, how to read this, this, this space, you know, this, this reality, uh, which are the instruments of trying let's say, to understand it, uh, evaluate uh, this this landscape this these places and of course uh, it was it was for many for many designers and for many also planners and architects and landscape architects uh, the um, the discovery of of uh, of the residual let's say nature or the ordinary landscapes that um, you know exist fragmented but you know evolving in their own diversity and and their own potential was one of the keys let's say of how to look to the periphery but i was um, i was very much um, engaged with understanding and reviewing how, for example, this tradition of morphological reading of the very same department of urban design mm -hmm. of Barcelona could uh, apply to, to, to the periphery. And then I realized, of course, also starting to introduce myself into landscape architecture, the, the importance of, of visual parameters in, let's say, not only in... Um, um, questions of style and the picturesque or whatever in uh, let's say the aesthetics but also in uh, more objectified uh, methodologies of landscape analysis like uh, visibility analysis so uh, so I started connecting let's say the my reviewing of morphology through the idea of image and I was uh, trying let's say on one hand to review literature on image mm -hmm. uh, try to find let's say how landscape architects have been especially in this very very recent period that the discipline has been restructuring itself uh, have been distant uh, starting put some distance between the visual and talking more about processual and that there were some American writers like James Corner like uh, Elizabeth Mayer uh, and of course, Rosa Barba, whose theme was about um, uh, the, the visual qualities of of landscapes and and the relationship to the idea of place, um, that made me, um, in a way, 
try to build little by little, let's say, these this readings I was, I, was, I was trying to do. In a way, the thesis is a kind of review of uh, landscape and urban design theory related to the, um, to the image, how the image contributes in the um, construction of, of values, how it affects preferences or design criteria, and how different readings of, of the visual more are related to, to its variability and its multiplicity, and not so much as a more static or stable idea or more legible the criteria, could help me review this, this tradition of morphological reading. In the end, the thesis ends up with uh, the idea of the ordinary, uh, because um, everything has a form and everything has an image, but there were some images and uh, some, let's say, visual qualities or whatever, some spaces that uh, have not been traditionally considered as valuable. So I, I reviewed the idea of the ordinary relating it to the peripheral, to the informal, to that of uh, plane or, or horizontal, and that of, of fragmented. It is a very theoretical... Um, Did you look at any specific places to test some um, of these ideas? I worked in Greece and in, and in Catalonia. Mm -hmm. I, I used my professional experience, let's say, to you know, my, my own photographies and my own cartographies to try, let's say, to discuss this, these issues. But of course I referred to um, projects and plans and to artists and etc. So you're still keeping a close tie to your homeland? Yeah. And are you professionally able to bridge the gap to work between both countries? I work um, a lot less than I would like to mm -hmm. because of time, because uh, let's say the commitment with uh, let's say this group of landscape uh, professors that have been doing all this stuff it's um, for the moment too, too important that I don't have the time to... And the truth is that you cannot uh, work very well in distance. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to spend a lot of time and... But uh, I hope in the, in the near future that I can, I, I can be able to, to work there. I'm, I'm very, very happy because I was the first Greek that studied in the master's program in Barcelona, mm -hmm. but since then there have been uh, 20 more people. You've catalyzed a wave. <laughs> Some of them came back, are back, and I, I hope that, uh, you know, the, um, had this kind of network of, of people that work in landscape in, Bar in, I'm sorry, in Athens or in, in the rest places of Greece can be a potential. What's the contemporary state of the profession in Greece? I don't even think that architects, which are, let's say, more... Uh, more com old, let's say, as a as a discipline, uh, have a, uh, have the possibility to have an important role in the um, in public life in in Greece. It's it's a new country, and I think all this there is not so much tradition. The profession itself, uh, I don't know. I hope I'm not I'm not mistaken, but um, I think it 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 suffers. It, there are landscape architects that. I'm sure they studied abroad or 
agricultural engineers that have been doing. But I think uh, for me it's the same um, situation that happened in in Spain some uh, all, all these years that um, mm. they, they they move in a more private um, terrain and they do not really participate in, in in public life. Maybe in the future. To finalize, I'm curious about uh, curious about this thing called the European Landscape Convention, and more specifically, perhaps about this other thing or organization called Uniscape. Um, I've come to learn that in January of this year, you and a group of um, 22 other professors signed a, a statute formalizing the organization of Uniscape with the aim to, and I'm, I'll quote, to, to foster university cooperation on landscape issues with reference to the principles and the values enshrined in the European Landscape Convention, which was signed in um, 2000. Could you explain to us a little bit about this European Landscape Convention and then why is a UNESCAPE needed to um, maybe formalize or make more active this, this convention? There is a very interesting issue here about um, Europe and about landscape. Uh, I'm not so sure that I, I remember very well all the um, let's say, all the evolution of, of the proposal of the European Landscape Convention. But um, even though, let's say, that one can agree or not with, with the contents because they're very general, it's a kind of a light manifesto. But I think that there are two positive issues. One is that is a kind of political statement that countries and regions, some of them, not all, had declared that they would uh, support and they signed and so that means that landscape it's not a synonym for environment or territory when you want to make your speech more interesting and you want to change the term but it's something that it has um, an is it becomes an entity and politicians let's say can can use it in different ways hopefully in a positive way and i think the other the other positive issue that is that involves citizens and participation into planning processes related in a way with with landscape uh, landscape uh, architects or, or theorists would probably you know reading the text would find it really plain because it starts with the idea that uh, landscape uh, is always a perception. I'm not, uh, I don't remember it correctly. It's, it's written better than I say that. But in a way, they, 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 they relate the perceptual, let's say, dimension of landscape with the, the wheels of the citizens. This can be read in a way that is uh, conventional, political attitude in order to try to avoid criticism because of you know the state of mm -hmm. of politics today or you can you know interpret it that in the future this will really change the way that planning processes etc uh, what i have to say is that the, i think that uh, this um, the european landscape convention i think it mostly reflects the disciplinary view of geographers from my point of view 
because it's not so much related to the construction of the landscape itself, but more to all other parts of a very complex process mm -hmm. that of studying, of reading, of evaluating, and, and geographers, I think, is the, um, are the scientists par excellence that they have their, you know, their protocols of studying, evaluating, and involving citizens in that. So in this case, I think that landscape architects, they, we still have to make the, this, this initiative our own. And in this sense, I think Uniscape is a little bit, uh, tries to to work in this mm -hmm. in this direction. But to be honest, I think Uniscape is a very, very recent um, initiative, which is, we start to design it now, so we, I don't know exactly how it will evolve, but it's, it actually comes second, because there was another initiative that mm -hmm. started by um, professors and academics of landscape many years ago, um, which is um, has is, is known by the acronym LENOT, which is a European um, initiative, which started as a research project uh, with European money and support, and who tried to connect educators uh, with the construction of a web page mm -hmm. and many other different products. Uh, one of which I think is excellent is the is the design and the production of the of the Jola landscape magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think my school, because I, I participated in in both uh, in both um, um, in both initiatives, the yeah, entities as uh, representing uh, my school. Probably I will not be the one that uh, goes on with all these initiatives. Uh, participating there, but I think that the important thing is that they should be complementary, I think. For the moment it seems that Uniscape is a little bit more southern based, and uh, well, this is something that we, we face in Europe, I mean, it's not, um, the, the communication between Central Europe and the North and the South, it's, it's not so fluid. It's mm -hmm. I've noticed that there, of your, actually there are 30 or so members, there are 17 coming from Italy, yeah. and three coming from Spain, and two from France and Germany, Portugal, Slovenia, the United Kingdom, Belgium, and the Netherlands are only sending one, only have one member. So yeah, I think it's because the initiative has just started, and I would r rather read this initiative as, um, let's say, as an idea of trying to, I don't know, complement uh, what is already done. But um, also that makes us think that probably it's, it's very difficult to include everybody in, a, in an already, let's say, very, very much evolved initiative as the Lenotre project. When do you have fun as a landscape architect? When we, d uh, when we have these brainstorming sessions we have in the center and we deal with everything, like mixing things, like, um, I don't know, which will be the, um, the guests, the critics in the next presentation of our students' work, or talking about uh, the Biennale, of course, because most of us are the same companions as always, trying to 
reconstruct the let's say the legend of uh, of a map in a very eclectic way mm-hmm. trying to imagine what our, our clients will think and try to make it legible and uh, of course working with with my colleague Anna Saunero she's um, a biologist and I have learned a lot from her trying let's say to design public space and, and make competitions I, I think our 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 war is to try to to make to use uh, hybrid arguments so I think Having this this target makes things um, uh, very stimulating. And when you're not making landscapes or thinking about landscapes, what do you do for fun? Being in Barcelona or going back to Greece, you know, seeing friends. Barcelona is a place that everyone loves to come. So in a way, uh, you have this. The, the, it's a kind of opportunity that you can. You feel sometimes that you can just sit here. Just wait for everybody to pass. <laughs> so it's it's really lovely. Now that I have a new flat with my new patio, I hope I will design and I will have, uh, you know, maybe this will be a nice place to hang around with all these visitors in Barcelona, all my friends around the world. That's great. Well, Maria, thank you very much for joining us, and good luck, good luck to you in your future endeavors. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Maria Goulart is a landscape architect, practicing at the Center of Landscape Research of Barcelona and teaching in the Department of Urbanism and Territorial Planning at the Escola Tecnica Superior d'Arquitectura in Barcelona. Thank you for joining us for the 25th Dispatch of Tyrograms. Tyrograms relies exclusively on contributions from listeners like you. Your support assures you that you, your colleagues, office, studio, faculty body, students, and classmates can continue to benefit from our growing and open archive, as well as our forthcoming discussions. If you have enjoyed the Terragrams initiative and are looking forward to our upcoming dispatches, please go to our homepage at terragrams.com and select Donate. This will lead you to a PayPal site for an online contribution. Otherwise, please contact me directly at info at terragrams.com for alternate forms or methods of support. To find out more about Terragrams and sign up for our next deliveries, please visit our website at www.terragrams.com or subscribe to us using iTunes. Special thanks to the books for their wonderful and very cool music. You can expose yourself more to the books at www.thebooksmusic.com. Join us soon for a conversation with the landscape historian and theorist Mark Tribe. This concludes our 25th dispatch of Terragrams. Thank you for listening. Tammy and Brad.